Support the Amigos podcast on Patreon or PayPal and receive cool perks and rad swag. Visit our page at everythingamiga.com support. Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a creative edge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about Cosmic Pirate. Aaron, you do ever doing a little... Have you ever uh, smuggled anything before? Well, <laughs> you put me in an awkward position there, Boat. Let's go with, yes, an undisclosed thing. Hmm. Hey, how about that? Okay. How about yourself, Boat? You know, I've done, I done my share of smuggling. You, know, you I, have? I, I used to run some grass. What? I, I bought enough money to buy Miami, but I pissed well, it away so fast. I'll take off. You've never smuggled jack squat, have you? No, no. I fear, you never snuck anything across the border when you're overseas, jumping around from country to country? Well, here's the thing. You know, they, they tell you that you've got to declare stuff when you come into a country. Nobody's checking. You just walk right out of there. So that's what I right. do. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, can you get? Can you cite examples of stuff you've smuggled across at what borders? Video games. What's so, that? Like you know, video games like Super. Oh, Nintendo. you said it g- goofy grit style. Yes. I'm sorry. Um, okay. I, I brought you know like for example like Famicom games. Okay, like yeah. Was I supposed to declare those when I came in? They say like if you're carrying over ten thousand dollars in cash. You've got to yeah. let somebody know. Otherwise, they give you this piece of paper and you're supposed to fill it out. But here's the thing. Whether you fill it out or not, as long as you don't get stopped when you walk through customs, you're scot-free. And they just stop random people. Like, I've only been stopped once in all the overseas trips that I've taken. And it was on yeah. my last trip back from Thailand when I moved home in 2010. And then when they stop you, though, they tear everything apart. They take all your luggage out. They take out your digital camera. They're like, what kind of pictures you got on this camera? You know, they go through your camera and all this stuff. So, of course, now with smartphones, they probably don't do that. But, yeah, I've uh, I've never. I, what is it about smuggling that's so attractive. I've always thought that if I was going to be the a money. criminal, yeah, if I was going to be a criminal, I would be a smuggler. You know, yeah. like Han Solo. You know, uh, Firefly. No, those no. guys were smugglers. You're here. You would be the perfect like drug. You'd put the mule in drug mule. You'd be the, <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because you're just gentle looking, unassuming. You are, and you are what you look like. This this uh, congenial, quiet, well spoken, soft spoken in- intellectual. No one would suspect you of having a kilo of the white stuff shoved up yonder, if you know what I mean. Mm. You know, the problem is, it, is that, you know, I have a hard time lying. I don't know if you, I, whenever there's any sort of a board game, remember we used to play that game over at Matt's house where there were all the different sorts of ways to die and you had to tell, you had to, you had to pick who was the killer. Remember oh, yeah. this? There was like poisoning yeah. and all that. And I would just say from the beginning, I'd be like, guys, it was me. I'm sorry. Cause I can't lie. And so that, that I think would be you're a, lying right now. Maybe you're a brilliant liar. Mm, maybe it circles back around. Could be true. Mm-hmm. Could be true. I, I'm just saying that an airport, <clears throat> a fellow like yourself, could probably get through a security check. I'll, I'll give you an example. When we went to Las Vegas, it was mm-hmm. me, the Brent, right, and my buddy Rich. Okay, mm-hmm. 
you know what me and the Brent look like. Couple tubby, sloppy doofus types wearing wearing blue jeans or slacks. Mm-hmm. My buddy was was kind of a built up guy mm, who thug. wore skin tight shirts and bondage pants. Wow! And he had a bunch of piercings and tattoos, and he was skin bald, and mm. he was tattooed like he was a uh, had a tan like the Hulkster. Oh, right! Wow. He was freakish looking, and mm. he had dyed eyebrows. And he had him tweezed up to look evil. Oh. You know, he was super evil looking. Mm. And he goes, he said, "Watch this hose." And we walked into the airport, the three of us, and he and, and the second he got in the eye shot of the guy, they were like brought him over and, and the whole nine <laughs> yards. And then we get on the plane, we went to our sleigh over, we went to the next plane, he goes, Watch this hose. He walked up, they pulled him out of line again. He got pulled out and checked every single time. You because know why? he looked like some kind of bondage demon is why it was his I tweezed guess. out eyebrows. Those guys have the same feelings about eyebrows that you do. Here's my reasoning. If you're a, a, an airport security guy and you see a dude walk up who has those evil eyebrows, he's he might be evil. You know, yeah. you can't help it. Why Everybody take a watches chance? cartoons, mm-hmm. you know? Stereotypes so come from somewhere. Is, remember what I, my hang-up about eyebrows? Mm-hmm. Remember, we've talked about that. I'd be the same way if I was security. Yeah. The second some evil-looking guy or some chick that had pulled her eyebrows out and had drawn them on, yeah. Clearly, this is a terrorist, and they need to they need to be checked. That'd be yeah. my that'd be my way I'd do it too. Well, yeah, I guess that that is uh, that's that's legitimate. How do we I'll get there what, for pirating? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess we'll. You it all goes back to eyebrows. Since, since we are talking about you know pirates and piracy. What was the single biggest score that you found either virtually or uh, in person in terms of, you know, uh, uh, freed software, liberated software? You mean like what? When, when I go back to my litmus career of computer yes. piracy, what right. was my number one all time score? The number one honey hole. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyone that knows anything about the Amiga knows that ReadySoft made the Dragon's Layers discs like uh, all nigh uncopyable. These things were tough to copy, okay? And man, did I want to copy a Dragon's Layer so bad. And so I found a sucker who had the whole copied version, and and he so he gave me his dupes. It was very selfless act. Oh, actually, I'm sure I gave him something awesome. But I remember I held those things aloft. You know, like I was Thor with the, the hammer mm-hmm. and took him home and played me some dragons. Like it was great. So I would say that was one of the things that comes to mind in terms of like big conquest. Most of the piracy, like the high notes, were where I'd come home with about a 50 or 60 discs full of crap. And so at that point, you're not like, boy, I can't wait to play disc 27. You're just right. like, look at this. I'm the king. You know, <laughs> the, sort of like the whole that. is worth more than the sum of its parts in that case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, I, you know, what was your, did you have one that you could recall? I, I wasn't part of the sort of nefarious groups that you were in terms of the, you know, copy parties over there at the long John silvers. But I did <clears throat> discover uh, when I got back into the Atari 8-bit scene in high school, there were people that did catalogs. And basically, they, they'd send you this catalog, and you could pick, you know, 10 or 20 games. And then for every 10 games, you send them a dollar, and then they send you back, you know, a disc full of those games. And yeah. the first time that I did it, I didn't realize that it was just it was just piracy. 
I thought that they, this was somehow above board. And I wrote this guy a letter. It was like a handwritten letter. And I was like, you know, I'd really like this game. And let me tell you why. And I was just like gushing. I was like, thank you so much for, for providing this service. And of course, the guys don't care. They're running a business. Yeah. But that was the uh, that was my first real run in with actually attaining pirated software. My dad was the main source of that sort of thing back in the day from the Union Carbide. There was a network over there of Atari 8-bit guys. Yeah, well, that's, that my dad would say with the Coco. Mm-hmm. Like I said, and it's funny how that works because dad doesn't know anything about computers, but dad does know he doesn't want to spend a bunch of money on computer games. Right, exactly. And I have doubt. I have no doubt that the old man didn't give two jack squats about pirating Coco software. So he found his buddy at the war, at plants and and hooked me up. So yeah, yeah, we were we were sort of children of the piracy era. There was no really no choice in the matter. That's true. That's I true. blame society, boat. I do too. I blame society for everything. Mm. I'll tell you what else I blame society for, Aaron. Mm. Let's talk about this week's Amiga news. Holy crap! What a seamless transition, boat. <laughs> Amiga news. So, Aaron, it's been a banner week in Amiga News this week. Probably the biggest story is our first story, the new Buffy Amiga Accelerator. Okay, so uh, this is something that is hot off the press. Uh, This is a new drop-in accelerator for your Amiga that allows you to attain speeds that here for to have been unimaginable for your Amiga. So I think that the original Amiga 500 processor ran at like 0.7 megahertz or something like that. It, and uh, this, the, no, no, it was 7.14 megahertz, 7.14 mega. I knew there was a seven somewhere in there. Uh, this thing allows you to attain speeds of up to, I think like three gigahertz or something like it. it's something insane, Aaron. Uh, this is basically the answer, this company's answer to the vampire. That's why they call it the Buffy. Buffy's the vampire slayer. It's Get funny. It? I read the name of this and I had I could it was it's B U F F E E. Right. And I I didn't get it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> why the name it Buffet? I thought maybe it was from Italy or something. It's Italian, yeah. It yeah. Um so anyway, uh what this thing gives you is it gives you extra RAM, it gives you extra processing power, and it delivers at a pretty reasonable price point. Uh, this thing it comes in a 512 and a 1 gigahertz edition. And I think that the 512 version is something like 130 bucks. And I think that the, yeah, 139 is the price on there. I must be missing it. No, I saw it. I think they're 139 and 179 respectively. Okay. So yeah, this thing is a lot cheaper than a vampire, but let's talk about what this thing does not give you. Uh, this thing does not give you HDMI out. It doesn't give you an IDE port so you can plug in a hard drive. There's no way that you can turn, you know, there's no sort of mass storage solution in this thing. So this really depends on what you want. I wouldn't, I would definitely not call this a vampire killer. I would call this sort of like the cheap guy's vampire that doesn't want, you know, other things on his board. Um, And it also begs the question, like, you know, what are you doing with all of this extra speed? Um, are you, you know, does does it really matter that you can load, you know, games faster? You know, does this even affect loading speed or is that just the drive? You know, maybe the Frontier demo is going to be quicker, but I, I don't know. Where do you where do you stand on something like this? A, a, a uh, Just a speed upgrade with no other accoutrement with it. I find this very interesting, uh, frankly, because uh, I saw it pop up. In fact, I believe 
it popped up on our Discord. It's the first place I saw it. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it was Pixels or Lobsterminator. One of those guys popped it up there. And I looked it over. And what you've got, listen, yes, you do get a, a, a big boost to the processor, but you also get, uh, it's it comes pre-equipped with 512 or a 1 gig uh, of SD RAM. It's a lot of memory. But what do you what do you what are you doing with that memory though? Well, it depends on what you stick this in. If you stick this in an Amiga five hundred or Amiga one thousand or something like that, that's a huge boost. And I mean, you need that memory. Remember you the ever remember we talked about running WHD loads on um, the Amiga one thousand, for example. And this this opens a lot of doors memory wise. <clears throat> um, the processing speed. Listen, uh, uh, the hobbyists around this scene like fast processors now. The big debate would be, and I, it, I I did see some people that were irritated by the name. You know, they thought it was an unnecessary uh, uh, attack on the vampire guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I will leave that up to the reasoning of the gentle listener and viewer. But uh, I think this is a nice alternative to the vampire. And among the reasons, this is easier to put in. It's probably going to be a lot more stable. It's not nearly as a uh, uh, as feature filled, obviously. But I mean, if you've got a lot of people already have uh, storage solutions and whatnot, so they don't need a lot of that stuff. They this would do them nicely. One hundred thirty nine dollars. That's a good bargain. It is very cheap works. for an Amiga peripheral. Absolutely. Now the the thing I look at here, you've got a a, a BGA chip on it. Uh, those things. I, I, BGH has ball grid array chips, which I used to place these at early on at IBM. They're a real terror to uh, to to put down. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I assume these guys are having these manufactured somewhere, not doing themselves, because those things are that'd be tricky stuff to put down yourself. And the machines to lay those down can can cost a lot of money. So uh, I found that in, that interesting. But I mean, those things that's a lot of power they've got on that on that little uh, piece of kit there. So. I found it interesting. I've already seen people discussing, and I use the word discussing when it should be violently fighting yeah. about whether this still counts as having a natural Amiga, and 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 uh, if there's a it, you know blah 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 all that all that jive. We should but also the, talk about the MIPS, Aaron. The MIPS. The, the MIPS. Okay, okay. Okay. Go ahead, please. So the stock sixty-eight thousand CPU in an A five hundred produces 0.54 MIPS. That's millions right. of instructions per second. This thing, in addition to giving you a three point two gigahertz processor with the O three O instruction set, it's going to give you one thousand MIPS. And so this is one thousand eight hundred fifty times the performance gain. Uh, oh yeah. So it's yeah, a serious kick. It's a serious kick. Yeah. And, and and people will find stuff to use this for. I know you don't believe that, but people that use the Amiga for uh, artistic reasons, uh, for music, for manipulating and ray tracing and that sort of thing, you that stuff will help. You know, uh, so there are people. Listen, but we're granted. I think the vast majority of Amiga owners are just like sort of game players, but there are people out there that actually use this to do legitimate work. I yeah I don't de- I don't deny that what I yeah. think is that the majority of those people are already running accelerated Amigas that are not Amiga 500s already, perhaps, you know. But I mean, uh, let me ask you this uh, along those lines: Will this sell? Oh yeah, it'll sell uh, out day one, no question about go. it. That's yeah. that's uh, that's the end of the art. That's it. Yeah. Uh, that the pr- again, you know, I've I've bitched and moaned here about the trouble I've had with the other Amiga, but at the end of the day. It's a fully capable Amiga 
and you, I paid 150 bucks for it, and I can hook modern crap to it. It works great. In that, when the price is right, people will buy it. Even if they've got an Amiga. I've got an Amiga 1200. I still bought this thing. That's yeah. all that matters. You know? So I have no doubt they'll sell the crap out of these. And if they've got something I can stick in the, in the 1000, for example... I might consider it, frankly, at that price. I might consider it. Yeah, they you know? they haven't written anything about the one thousand. Of course, the the big the Achilles heel of the one thousand. You can add as much fast RAM as you want, but you can't upgrade the chip RAM, right? Yeah. And so that, you're yeah. you're still going to be limited. And so there are two things that I love. You know, my dream my dream upgrade for the one thousand would be some way for it to get PAL compatibility and a way to upgrade the chip RAM. Because if you can do those two things, you can accelerate the crap out of it, and then all of a sudden you've got a hot rod, you know? And so now, maybe one I day. I don't believe these are for sale yet. I believe these have not been produced. Mm. <clears throat> so we, we shall see. But uh, we will keep an eye on this one. This was the talk of the town, though, no doubt. Absolutely. All right, Aaron, let's move on to our next story. This is the Forgotten Amiga. Okay? So you've heard of the Amiga 1000, the 2000, the 3000, but what about the Amiga 2200? Has, Very has this, unusual. Is, yeah, has this passed by your radar before, Aaron? Well, not until I read this. <laughs> yeah. So apparently this was the this was the uh, answer to a question that nobody asked. Uh, a Commodore produced an Amiga that was uh, in, in very, very small quantities, perhaps even under 10 examples, uh, called the 2200, and was supposed to sit in between the 500 and the 3000. Uh, to give people a chance to have a, uh, you know, a big box Amiga that had expandability, but wasn't quite so powerful and not so quite expensive as the Amiga 3000. Well, it turns out that they made a couple of these, and their sales strategy was to take them around computer shows, back when computer shows were just these, you know, traveling circuses, and they'd say, hey, you want this thing? And if somebody said, yeah, then they'd pull it out of the back of the van and they'd give it to them. So apparently at least two of these exist. <laughs> that's, that's the way they worked it? That's the way they worked it. Uh, and uh, so in what they did was I think that they took the cases of the 2200 that didn't sell and they, they just kept them in a warehouse somewhere because when the 4000 came out, they fit in that 2200 case. So maybe the 4000s are just repurposed 2200s. You know, these uh, these A2200-2s, holy smokes, did you see what these things have got in them? Hmm. See, a, 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 a 6830 with an FPU, 40 MHz, 2 megs of chip RAM, 4 megs of fast RAM. It's a beefy uh, machine. A 3.5-inch 1.76 floppy. It's the high-density floppy. Mm -hmm. 420 meg hard drive. Th Kickstart 3.1. That's, I mean, this thing was this thing was locked and cocked and ready to rock, frankly. Yeah. That's a decent little machine right there. Not too bad. Yeah. What a wacky thing to, to come up with, Boat. Absolutely. How did this come across your radar, man? This came across our radar. We talked about this on uh, This Week in Retro a, a couple uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, somebody suggested it to us on our subreddit. And uh, I thought, well, boy, we need to be talking about this on Amigos, too, because this is a, an Amiga model that I'd never heard of. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of our listeners haven't heard of either. Crazy stuff, Boat. Yeah, yeah. All right. The next story, Aaron, I know that we don't like to talk about games and development too often, but sometimes I see a story that really catches my eye, and that's this one. They are porting, Aaron, this, and, and it's, it's, it's important who is doing this. The British developer Hoffman, 
of course, Hoffman, probably most famous in his life for being the guy that did the records for RMC. Yeah, uh, he, he's a big uh, time he, music guy. Yeah, he's a big time music guy. He's uh, porting Metal Gear, the MSX game Metal Gear, to the Amiga. Of course, Metal Gear is most famous for uh, its, uh, well, it's probably most famous for its current incarnations, which are on all the modern consoles. But a lot of people think Metal Gear started on the Nintendo Entertainment System, but it didn't. It started on the MSX. The MSX game is much different in a lot of ways than the Nintendo version, and in a lot of ways, it's a better game. He's taking this version and porting it over to the Amiga 500. So uh, he says that and I'm reading off the uh, vintage is the new old site right now. He says that the developer is modifying it to run at the full frame rate, and hopefully it will be compatible with both PAL and NTSC machines. Now, Aaron, were you did you ever play the original Metal Gear? Believe it or not, Boat, <laughs> I did. Really? Like this. Yeah, me and the Brent rent, would rent this occasionally for the NES mm-hmm. and play it. And it was, I will say... <clears throat> I enjoyed this game. It was it was it was very hard, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, but it was fun. It was it was yeah. very different, very different, you know, from a lot of games of that time. And this was not Commando or Akari Warriors, right? Uh, and uh, uh, it's funny that uh, who knew at the time that this would grow into a massive thing. You know, mm-hmm. by the way, before when I get tired, I often would just exclaim, "I'm sleepy" to no one. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> just to let it, just to let the world know, I'm sleepy, and that's when I go to bed. It's exactly. And then I that and then I sleep artist. standing up immediately, that's, <laughs> like a horse. That's right. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, I'm looking at these screens here. This work in progress. Holy crap! It looks great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe how good it looks. I didn't so, realize. I didn't know Hoffman was a, a, a programmer. Of such I didn't a know that either. You know, he's just another one of these guys, just like Whitaker. That is a, you know, musician and coder. They can do it all, all singing, all dancing. So. They're the exact opposite of us. Yes. We can't do music. Well, I mean, I get, uh, me, because I forgot you do music. I do nothing. So, yeah, no singing, no dancing. <laughs> but, yes, this looks great. This was a big surprise to me, Boaster. Yeah. So, good for Hoffman, man. The guy's doing it all. Thumbs up. Now, our next story, Aaron, I, I really want to get your um, your thoughts on this because you are somebody who is known for sort of hacking into cases, you know, willy-nilly. You take you the Dremel and you case, go to town. And all, and all of a sudden, you're the public enemy number one. This is a way that you can make a new Amiga 1200 case top. This is a 3D printed model, okay? And what this does is that you, I think what you do is you actually flip your Amiga backwards and you 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 turn it into almost like a pizza box style or maybe like an a3000 style uh computer and so you you know obviously you lose the keyboard functionality but you gain a um I don't know what you gain. What do you gain out of this? You I guess gain you something gain something called the Amigo. Yeah. That's all you need to know. It's that's... called the Amigo, y'all. That's Listen, right. Uh, this is a three. This is, I guess this is not, doesn't exist. Okay. Yeah. But theoretically, this is a 3D printable case for your, for your, for your Amiga. Now, I consulted with our resident 3D professional. And you're talking Dave about David Arizona. Z, right? That's right. Yeah. David told me that this would be very difficult to print. Mm. And the reason is, he said the vents would be very difficult to print on this. I Apparently can see the, uh, 3D printers will have difficult. And I, I listen, I don't know jack squad about 3D printing. 
Uh, but I can see where that that does make sense to me. Where that could be that could be a uh, that could be a gimmick. Anyway, all that said, uh, this is one wacky looking contraption, in my yeah. opinion. It also doesn't necessarily the address the how do you get the keyboard to work part of this because. I mean, I, you'd have to provide your own hardware for that. It's not going to 3D print that. It seems like uh, you're losing a lot of functionality to gain a minimum amount of um, new features. For example, you know, if you look at the uh, around the 143 mark in this video, you see uh, a render of the completed case. You have two software or you have two uh, floppy drives and then you've got a DVD drive in the middle. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you make all of those things internal, but you also lose the all-in-one nature of the 1200. So it's a trade-off for sure. I, I don't know that I'd go this route, but I think it's really cool that people are reimagining, you know, different solutions for the 1200. And of course, there always is, you know, people that, that just want something new and something different. If I was going to go this route, I mean, why would you just not buy a 3000 or a 4000? Maybe maybe they're just too expensive these days. I do like that. I like the fact that they use my nickname that my, you know, it's, it's my kayfabe nickname just among friends, Amigo Professional. They yes. call you Amigo Slacker. That's right. It's like the Road Warriors, we have our own names. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, listen, it's I like it because it's wacky. I'm not, you know, honestly, I'll look at the shape. Like, I didn't realize what you said. This was a new top mm-hmm. for the Amiga. I thought this was a whole new case for the Amiga. Because if it's not, what are you going to do? Rip, cut, cut open your whole... Well, I, I assume I've never opened a 1200, but it, it's a two-piece operation, just like right, the, but I mean, the none of that, that right there, we would assume would be part of what you've currently got. And there's right. no, that's none of that stuff's in a case for the Amiga 1200. Mm. <laughs> this is a whole new case. I think it's yeah. a whole new print. I so think that you, this, this guy, he is, he has, he's, he's got, he's obviously got 3d modeling skills. He's got 3d rendering skills towards the end of the video. You see a, a 3d render. And I mean, it really looks real. Um, yeah, but I, as far as the actual ramifications of putting this thing together, I have no idea how you do it. But sometimes it's just nice to dream, you know. Well, I I I, uh, I give the guy kudos. I'm the one that posted this one. Uh, I was like, I I was stumbling around the internet. I was like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I was, I was baffled. Yeah, uh, and and when it showed up. So hey, if anyone if this appears anywhere, someone uh, stooge it off and let us know. And we'll be all over this bad boy, won't we, Boat? Absolutely. Because we know we know a dude that could print it. Yeah. He'll print anything. And so he'll <laughs> he'll he'll give it a shot, Boat. All right, we'll Aaron. That's a wacky one. Our final story today is our weekly Amiga hardware spotlight. We're gonna head over to retrorewind.ca and take a look at this Amiga RGB to HDMI adapter. Okay, so if you're looking for a cheap and a simple way to get HDMI output for your Denise-based Amiga, this looks like your best option. Um, You couple this thing with a Raspberry Pi Zero, and what it does is that extracts the digital video signal, and uh, it it gives you an HDMI out that is extremely, extremely low latency. Aaron, uh, what do you know about these things? I've heard good things. I will say the price is, (laughs) is great. I mean, look at this. A Pi Zero costs, what do they cost, like nine bucks? Or something. I think it's cheap. five bucks, yeah. They're super, I've got, I've used some Pi Zeros for some other projects, and they're they're just the dirt cheap. Yeah. And then this thing's only 40 bucks. So effectively, for like, let's say, let's say with shipping and everything, you're, you're still under like 65, 70 bucks for, for, for HDMI out. Bam. 
Where's this thing been all of our lives? Exactly, exactly. We've been getting killed out here. That that GBS eighty two hundred, all that board. When I used to blow those boards up frequently, all that oh, nonsense yes. shipping from the darkest yeah. holes of China. This thing, if this thing would have been around, I would have skipped all that and bought it immediately. So yeah, this looks like top shelf quality gold. If anyone out there has picked one of these up, uh, drop us a note. But uh, yeah. yeah, I I <laughs> when I saw the price on this, you know me. We've talked about this. We just talked about it a minute ago. In the Amiga world, forty bucks don't buy you a, a freaking label for the front of your Amiga, <laughs> man. That's so, right. That's right. When you could get something that gives you HDMI out. Uh, hold the phone. I'm in. I'm yeah, definitely yeah. in. And you can pick this up over at the Retro Rewind store at RetroRewind.ca, and we would like to welcome them as our newest sponsor of Amigos. So uh, be sure and uh, give them your business if you're looking to order from a North American source. We may have to give this a shot ourselves, Boat. I think even you could do this project. I think I could, maybe. I, who am I kidding? I'd, blow, I'd, I'd destroy everything. It would be, a, it'd be over. <laughs> Aaron, it's time to board the pirate ship and drive into the stars. It's time to talk about Cosmic Pirate. I like it, man. Bam. And though it came to pass. It's Cosmic Pirate Boat. Uh, <clears throat> I always ask, so I'll ask again. Had you ever heard of this one? Never. Never in a million yeah. years that I heard of Me Cosmic either. Pirate. I don't think I've ever seen this played anywhere. We've never played this on a, an Amigathon. Uh, this was completely new to me. Uh, so <laughs> I love stuff like that. You never know. So Cosmic Pirate uh, released in 89, Boat, uh, and was published by an outfit called Outlaw, which I, get, I think they were an arm of, of, of Palace Publishing, which that okay. we've heard of. The only thing I could find that they published on the Amiga aside from this was the shoot 'em up construction set of all things. Uh, the uh, developer of this was an outfit called Zippo Games. Boat uh, Zippo, I will say they only did a couple of other things for the Amiga, but one thing I found interesting: they did Voodoo Nightmare, and they did World Darts, and which hmm. I, I haven't played World Darts. But one thing I noticed was uh, that. Uh, World Darts also got one of those weird Ar Amiga and an arcade machine releases, and they did that, the Arcadia. Remember we talked about that, like, years and years ago? Mm-hmm. Long ago. So they actually, they hit, believe it or not, Zippo Games had a game in the arcade. I looked I looked into Zippo Games, if for any reason, because they've got a wacky name. You know me. Uh, so uh, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a developer formed by a couple brothers. Uh, it was, uh, uh, the Pickford brothers and they, and they developed it at, they're both out of Manchester and they, they uh, started, they broke in on the ZX 81. And, and so bam, they were in, they did some ZX stuff. They did, they did Zippo games. Zippo games actually did some stuff. It wasn't like they did, they didn't do very much on the Amiga, but they did a lot of NES games, both. Huh? They did. Yeah. You got, you got a list of those. I'm curious. Well, I do. I've got a couple here. They did Solar Jetman was one that they did. No, no, they didn't. Did they really? Yes, they did. That yeah, was a man. rare. That was a rare game. No, rare yeah, these guys. Oh, well, hold on. You didn't let me finish. Okay, so get this. Okay. Uh, so they ended up. They ended up basically. Mer they basically they merged with with Rare. Oh, uh, okay. Th and okay. they but they they helped create they helped create Solar Jetman and Iron Sword. Even I've played that. Oh yeah, Wizards and Warriors too. And so they turned the studio into Rare Manchester. Oh. So if you've ever heard of Rare Manchester, that was Zippo Games. That was Zippo Games. Hmm. Yeah. So I was glad I looked into them. Very weird. They ended up leaving it, doing their own thing. But 
still kind of kind of nutty. Again, here comes a couple guys straight out of Manchester, and they end up working for Rare. So pretty pretty cool. Or forming forming a Rare stable, if you will. Yeah. So getting back to Cosmic Pirate, um, this is a, a one player game. Uh, again, this was done by uh, the Pickford boys, John and Steve. Uh, they John coded this one, and he also had done he did World Darts in a game called Feud. And his brother, Steve, did the graphics. He did the same two games. Plus, he did a game called Leviathan and a game called Strafe. And, of course, the music on this was by the man, the main man. They, you mentioned him earlier. That's why I laughed. David Whitaker. Oh, man. Uh, who did uh, He did so much stuff. Shadow of the Beast, all the Snoopy games, Living 2. Uh, he did well, you Bright can, Night, Golden you can Axe, write a lot. Of, you can Bobble. write a lot of music when you only have to write one tune per game. <laughs> Yeah, Bubble. He did Blood Money, Alfred Chicken, just a million games, Boat, uh, that uh, Whitaker did. Uh, so, very cool. This, of course, runs on all the Amigas. I uh, will say the Emanuel even had instructions for loading this on the Amiga 1000, which I always enjoy seeing that. So, this game, I don't know, I, I'm assuming, because since you said you did pretty well at this game, I'm assuming you actually looked at the manual for this. Oh, you. This is, is the, a, with this yeah. game, the manual is essential. You have to, yeah, because otherwise you just... I'll, I'll, let me put this perspective before we get deep into this. I did what I always do. I turned the game on. I loaded it up. It wouldn't let me start. I staggered <laughs> through a simulation. Then it let me start the game. Then I hated the game. And then I quit the game. That was pretty much, that was the early stages of my week with Cosmic Pirate. And then I was like, you know, there's got to be more to this game than lumbering around like an idiot. You know, and so I... I remember that you had asked for the manual, and then I was like, "Up, oh, I know why now." Yeah, I and wonder- uh, we want to thank Pixels for thinking to search for the ST version of the manual, yeah. which uh, Good which job, was Pix. yeah. I want to. I don't know if you read the flavor text here, but but I want to touch on it a little bit because it was so stupid. But I was say it's funny. <laughs> Did you read the like the? Uh, yeah, backstory? I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world. It's not the worst. It's just wacky. So yeah, I'm it's gonna, wacky. I just want to. I want to. If you'll indulge me, boat. Yeah, anytime. Uh, the first part of this thing, it says, the first chapter one, what the hell are we doing here? That's the way, and I didn't make that up. That's, that's labeled. <laughs> it says, the player takes on the role of the infamous Guy Manley, whose very name strikes fears into the heart of every space trucker from here to somewhere very far away indeed. That's your open line. <laughs> and they basically go into Guy Manley's tragic backstory. Basically, he got he got a death sentence for a crime he committed, and then he he got away. He st- and he stole a ship because he couldn't keep a job, and that's how he became a pirate. And so you assume the role of Guy Manley. Guy Manley reports directly to Nest Fifty One. This is all pivotal for the game, believe it or not. Nest Fifty One is basically like, I guess you'd call it a clearinghouse for piracy. But was that would that make sense? Yeah. It, it's a mm-hmm. it's basically these are like the syndicate. They run right. all the pirates and they take the majority of the action. Mm-hmm. When you like ninety nine percent of the action. Yeah. And so basically, they'll, they, that's where you'll get your missions and stuff, right? And then when you're done, you go back to them. So, and this is the dirty little secret of this game. This game is just like it's a lot of people. I read a lot of descriptions. This is like it's like short, short field of view asteroids. It's not like that actually. There's actually a mission here that if, that need, and you, there and you need to do it to advance. And the mission ultimately is, at least as far as I got, but you can elaborate on this here in a second, but. The early missions are to go into space, search around, uh, or search for a place to warp to where you can get to the space truck that you're hijacking. So basically, right. basically you're hijacking right. a space truck, so, which so is can, space truck's a big ship. 
Let me let me let me take you through what goes yeah, please, on in this game. Please do. Okay, so when you start the game, you start off uh, looking at a series of menus that are keyboard controlled. Uh, I actually thought that this was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. It's like you're looking at an ATM. Uh, or, you know, a jukebox or something like that. And you're selecting things with the F keys. Okay. Yeah. So you can either go into a simulator or you can select a mission. Okay. Uh, so if you go into a simulator, you basically get to practice shooting ships and you don't have to worry about losing money. Uh, if you select a mission, you go out into space. When you go out into space, you see a you get warped out. There's a, a sort of a hyperspace type thing where your ship disappears. It splits into a million pieces and then it reforms. And uh, then you are off and running. And what happens is everybody in the universe seems to be able to detect your presence and uh, and try to destroy you by running into you. Uh, the enemy ships in this game are total kamikaze people guys aliens things uh they are running into you nonstop, and it's your job to avoid them and shoot them okay? they reminded me of the guys in sinistar boat remember yeah. that where it's basically it's come right at you and it's get right up in your face right absolutely so what your job is is there is a marker you know, with uh, it, it's a red marker and it's got a t in the middle of it and what you have to do is you have to find you, you have to travel towards that marker okay and that marker leads you to a beacon when you get to the beacon, that is how you travel to the next uh, zone on the map. Okay, so it's not as simple as that though, because you have to pay a toll to get to the next uh, to get to the next zone on the map. And so what you have to do is you have to kill a bunch of enemies to get uh, a, to get a certain number of points. Once you get a certain number of points, it's usually a thousand points. Then yeah. you can move on to the next zone. So okay. So once you leave the space zone that you're in, you get a map, an overworld map that is drawn in uh, squares. Okay, and, and it works so like just Star like Star Raiders. Yeah, like it's exactly like Star yeah. Raiders. Okay, and you can move you move section by section towards the space truck. Okay, now the space truck is your goal. So once you get to the zone of space with the space truck, you have to disable its movement and it will try and juke you and get away from you. Once you disable its movement, you dock with it and then you tow it back to the back to base, basically. And then you get paid. OK, back to the the main base. Yeah, right. Back to the main base. OK, once you uh, once you dock with the space truck, you are in no danger of getting killed anymore. So it's like you're home free, but you have a chance to earn some bonus points by shooting uh, aliens as you go by and you sort of move very quickly. Uh, and at that point, the game moves uh, totally horizontally. The rest of the game is a free scrolling affair where you're moving throughout space. It's very, very much like uh, Bosconian. Uh, I found you... that I found those scenes confusing when you dock. Yes. Not because I didn't know what I was going, but I, I couldn't I could not shoot anyone. It yeah. Was, I mean, it's really difficult. I had hard I had a hard yeah. time with that, too. And it's also it's unclear about why that scene is even in the game. It's yeah, almost like they, they tack that on you. at the end. Yeah, that was strange. Yeah, they could have done something with that too. That would have been a great, like a bonus stage. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but it's I not, agree I mean, with you. I mean, I don't think I ever killed anyone on it. I didn't think you even could, but I knew you couldn't get hurt, so I just kept shooting. You know, yeah. but I don't, that was weird. 
so there, there, there's a lot of things in this game that are almost brilliant, and that's one of them. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but that's not the only thing that you can do in this game. Also, on your space grid, there will also be planets, and the planets are usually really far away, so they're they're not going to be easy to get to. You have to fight through a lot of guys, a lot of different space zones to get to one of these planets. When you do get to the planet. That's where the bonus stage is. So you get a set amount of time to to roam about this planet. And at this point, it looks like you're playing like a free scrolling Xevious, basically. And you are uh, you're blowing up uh, sort of ground based uh, planes and a big alien ship. So you get a certain amount of time to to do as much damage as you can before you're warped back out of the planet. Then you're back at the space grid and you still have to complete that uh, space truck docking mission. Okay, that's basically the game. Um, When you complete a mission, you get a certain amount of money. You can use that money to upgrade your ship. You can upgrade the armaments. You can upgrade your armor. uh, And I believe that you can upgrade your speed as well. Um, And uh, and so you spend money on those things uh, and you basically progress through the missions, you know, trying to get a better and better ship, trying to get more and more money. uh, And that that is basically cosmic pirate in a nutshell. Wouldn't you say, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, the 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 opening any screens that don't involve the truck are basically you try. They're earning your way to get to the truck, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, what you're doing the scenes, just your basic combat scenes, is you're going around shooting all these different types of aliens. And there's there's different swords. There there are ships that look like yours that come out that try to get you. They almost like it looks like like almost like a Pac Man ship. Then there's like ships that are like are segmented like a worm. Mm-hmm. You know, like something you see in, say, like uh, a Xenon 2, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and there's different types of those. But ultimately, all you need to do is shoot the, uh, the amount you need to get to the to the toll area. Now, they the ships you shoot in that area, they drop discs mm-hmm. and the discs mean something. If you get a yellow one, uh, they're 50 points. If you get a white one, you get a smart bomb. We should mention that the smart bomb, if you, if you hold your button down the joystick, you'll get the, the smart bomb. Now, let bomb me ask you a question. Off. Yeah. Were you ever able and I turned on infinite bombs to make sure that I I yeah. was I could never get the smart bomb to come out. Did you have I any? The, I yeah, I turned on infinite bombs in the cheat. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know about the smart bombs until late in and so it's by that time I had not I hadn't been used to using them, so I never used them. Uh, so I don't know if they would I never tried it on mine. Did you, okay. uh, you so I I, know, I was never successful at getting the smart bomb to work. The uh, but anyway, if you get uh, allegedly, if you have a white, the white disc will give you the smart bomb. The green discs increase your shield. You do have a shield. That's basically mm-hmm. you. It's not a one hit and kill. You've got a shield. The shield's real bizarre. It basically charges back up at, at, when you're not getting smashed. Yeah, well, I like mean, it, it, it. How is that it, bizarre though? No, I mean, but I mean, it's it. Uh, the bizarre part is you can get killed real quick if you get swarmed. So like you can be like I would be buzzing along, kicking a bunch of tail. But if, if like one of those segmented worms or a couple of those things get on you, like you could die quick. Oh yeah, you know, and that's just the way it is. Uh, but the, if you get it green, it'll it'll give you a shield increase. Uh, red that that kills all the aliens uh, and bonuses on your scanner. This is right out of the rule book, by the way. Mm-hmm. The blue ones, which I found this out after I'd been collecting these for days, decrease the ship damage. And then the black ones split uh, into many random bonuses, it says. Now, this all sounds great, but when you're in the heat of the game, it's it's crazy time. It's not like you're sitting around going, well, there's a green one that does this. That does. It yeah. just, you now, just one, grab whatever you can. One thing we didn't mention is what the space truck actually looks like. 
Yeah. Okay, so the space truck is fashioned in the shape of a guppy in this game. Or uh, maybe not a guppy. I'm not really a fish guy. Angelfish, starfish. I don't well, know. I mean, it looks like a freaking icon, fish. It's icon is a fish, but I didn't necessarily think the no, truck yeah, the, was that. No, yeah, the truck like. itself is also fish-shaped if you look at it sort of like it's, in the right I mean, way. I guess kind of, yeah. Yeah. And so um so that when you're looking at the uh when you're looking at the picture, I don't know. I thought that that was kind of cute. I like the fact that it it it, it looked kind of like a fish in the picture. Yeah. It, I mean, it works. I, you know, so here's the thing, Boat. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty uh, nitty here. Like I said, when I first loaded this up, I didn't like it. And the reason I didn't like it was, as a as a Space Invaders clone, this sucks. Like, if that's what you think it is, this is Well, no yeah, good. because this has nothing to do with I mean, not Space Invaders, but Asteroids. Yeah. Uh, asteroids clone. Because because uh, the the camera, the your play area is small. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, all, and your ship is pretty large, and the other ships are pretty big too. And so you get a lot of crap crammed on the screen, and it makes it hard to avoid stuff or use any sort of strategy at all at first. Now, I played the simulator a bunch of times to try to figure out, and I will say this game gives you a lot of chances to practice because they've got a simulator, and you can simulate a difficulty all the way up to where it's just basically the same game. Right. And so it lets you ease your way in. And, and once I did that, I understood how the game played because at first I'm telling you both, I thought this sucked and I looked at some reviews and I was like, wait a minute, these guys said this didn't suck. I can't figure out why. So I knew it wasn't them. It was me. Like I was sucking. Mm-hmm. And so once I went back and developed some strategies for this, again, this in some aspects of this, it sort of kind of reminded me of, of playing a uh, 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 Sinistar. The ships come at you. Sinistar gets you a lot more uh, area, but I mean the ships attack in a very similar way. They're always on top of you. It's yeah, this is this is combat. this is this is not an asteroids clone. If anything, no. this is a Sinistar clone. Yeah, and it's not a clone of anything. No, it's pretty it's original not. game. It's original. And, yeah, but if you look at it, so I mean, let's break the game down. You start off in like a neutral zone. You've got the first thing you need to do is earn enough kills to leave. Then you go to. Then you drive your way to the warp thing the what what was you called that the toll beacon the toll beacon you warp your way there then you get that overhead map okay you don't get to stay on that map for very long but you look around you want to get to the fish marker and so you've got to make moves on that map quick enough to get you there like Mm -hmm. the first couple levels it's like one or two jumps get you there for every jump you go you're going to be going through another whole level of shooting the ships to earn money to leave that's all you're there for is to get that is to get those kills to leave the only zone you care about is the one with the with the mothership, the space truck in it. The rest of us just trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So you're not lingered around work because you could you could wander around the stages forever right. and just shoot stuff, but you're not going to leave. And there's no right. truck there, so it's pointless, and you're exactly. and you're going to die. So the whole goal is to get out of there. Then when you get to the truck level, the whole goal is to get to the truck, fight your way to the truck, kill the truck's guns and take over the truck. That's the only thing you've got to do. Mm-hmm. And when you put it in the perspective of a mission-based, like a goal-based game, that works fine. It works I mean, it's it's not perfect, but it works. It's fun. Then you can upgrade your ship. My problem was I kept the same ID the whole time, and I had went so far in debt that it took me forever to dig myself out of the hole. Yeah, yeah. That's because that's one of the problems with these games. Yeah, th- this is one game this where game. you're going to want to start over <laughs> if mm-hmm. you suck. Right. Because I didn't. And so I kept thinking, man, why don't I have enough money to do anything? What's well, because the, the uh, syndicate doesn't just let you w- like wipe away the debt. Like you can run into debt. And 
Something else you're going to notice is when you capture a space truck, it may give you like 500,000 credits, but you're taking home uh, 1% of that. Right. And so that's brutal. And that, that plays into the theme of the game. You know, the syndicate yeah. has taken all your money. Yeah, um, it, is, it is like real life pixels. Exactly. This game, <laughs> this game, like I said, I'm going to move into the things that are not good about this game. Please. This game is one of these infuriating games that's so close to really being brilliant. It yeah. really is. Uh, the, the the first problem is that they put these simulators in to help you learn how to play the game. Okay? Yeah. That's great. I wish more games did that. It's a fantastic way, and I love the way that they're gridded out. You know, they look like yeah, a simulator. Like vector. Yeah. yeah, it looks like Geometry Wars. You yeah, know, on yeah, the, on yeah. The, yeah. Um, what's not cool is the fact that they charge you to play some of these simulators, okay? You should have those all open to you from the get-go so you can familiarize yourself with all the different aspects of the game. Train as much as you want in there before you go into the game, okay? So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that you're, just like with Awesome, your ship is too big and the viewing area is too small. What they should have done was make it more like Sinistar, make your ship a little bit smaller, do away, and I realize there probably are technical limitations about why they had to HUD off your screen. Um, but they, they, they really should have given you more of a viewing area. And number three is they should have toned down, the, at least at the beginning of the game, toned down the enemy aggression. You know, having make the enemy ships act like real ships. Don't just make them fly around, you know, flying around and flying into you. Um, you know, give give them a little bit more uh, nuance, at least at the earlier levels, to give you a chance. You know, the ships have an eight bit level intelligence. They're yes. they're more like the random stuff you would come across in like Blood Money, for example, right. and not the kind of ships you would, that would actually attempt to attack you in an intelligent way i agree yeah. and, and if you're and, if you're playing this game and you're what trying, they were going for if you're trying to immerse yourself in this world you know of yourself as this space smuggler trucker guy you know you want your enemies to be a little bit more intelligent okay yeah now i don't have a problem with the toll beacon idea i think it's a neat way to sort of make you stick around in a section before you can go on what i do have a problem with is they give you all of these arrows okay there are these arrows that are all over the stages. They are uh, made out of some the same sort of material that the, the beacon is, and they don't make any sense. And I can understand maybe, okay, they're trying to throw you off the scent, but that that it doesn't matter because the, the game already gives you a beacon, the, the circle with the T in the middle that, that tells you where the beacon is. So what's the deal with these arrows? They mean nothing. That I, that's I, dumb. I did find that odd. I, yeah. I, I'm glad. Uh, thank you for mentioning that because it was early on in the game. I was trying to follow these, and they were just leading me nowhere. I'm like, and and the instructions say that the uh, the uh, uh, places where you go to to beam out of the sector, the toll areas, they they have a gravity that that collects stuff, and so you as you get near them, you'll see a bunch of garbage. Right. It's at first you're not sure that you can run over that stuff. You can none of it's all in the background, mm -hmm. including these letter the 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 arrows, but it was a real strange, uh, a strange thing uh, to to add in. The, uh, uh, I mean, here's the thing: your what you said. I I think awesome's awesome. Can a lot of people don't like what you said about awesome, but I think awesome could sort of get away with it because they were going for that sort of Atlantis or uh, type of uh, or not Atlantis, but the uh, cosmic arc type of screen. I mean, 
as a cosmic arc, it's okay. But as an asteroid, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best choice, okay, for that game. This game, not the best choice either. This one's closer to being playable, I think. The, but I don't know why they just didn't scale stuff down a third. Even yeah. a third would have done it. Yeah. Now, you get to the point where you understand. Like, one of the things you do in this game is I don't move that much. And I do spin around in an asteroid-like way until I kill everything. Then I move on. That's If you try to zoom through this thing like a maniac, you'll get killed. This is a game of patience. You know, you have to be patient. You go a little bit at a time. And you're okay. It's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but you know, you could get killed quick with the way the shields work. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, um, in its favor, I will say the controls are really tight. Yeah. You yeah, know, you really are. feel like you're in control. The fire rate is good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, however, in the negative category, I played a bunch of different missions because I unlocked some cheats that allowed yeah. me to, to, to that, start yeah. out with a bunch of money and stuff like that. They're all the same. It's one. It's a one mission game, and that's that sucks. That's no good on a game like this where if you you're trying to build other a story, pirates, though. That's one thing you can do. That's the only other thing I saw in here was that when you're on that overhead map, if you see a ship that looks like yours but it's not flashing, those are other pirates and you can go fight them. That's right, the only other right. thing I but saw. But I mean, as far as the missions go, because even when you're on the planet, you've got to leave the planet and dock with a space truck somewhere else just to beat the mission. Yeah, that, that's that's the game. You know, I got to give this game a little credit, though, because they... I like a game that has a little depth but doesn't get complicated. That's this game. Well, yeah, you and know, I'm not... Here's the thing, though. I'm not saying you have to make it more complicated. You can dress up the same thing a million different ways and keep it fresh. So maybe instead of docking with the space truck, maybe you're docking with a prison bus and you're going to free some prisoners. You know, or you you're just mining, change the mining spray. an asteroid or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can do the same thing over and over. Just put a different window dressing on it, and it makes the gamer feel like, hey, I'm actually progressing through the story. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I got a feeling this wasn't a real expensive game. I think I don't think I would wonder if this is a full price title. I don't know. I think. I think, listen, we could just quickly, we'll go down the list. There's no in-game music that is right. any good, okay? The opening screen music's awesome. Yeah, it's right? great. The sound effects are okay. The graphics are too zoomed in. We could all agree on that. They oh, one more thing. Cra- one oh, more yeah. thing about your ship. When you upgrade your weapons and stuff, no physical change happens to either your weapons or your ship itself. You look exactly the same. Your bullets look exactly the same. Yeah, so there That's you no get, good. Yeah, that's that's always a, that's kind of a letdown when you do yeah. it. It makes it less fun to get that stuff. Right. But uh, uh, the uh, not the mission variance isn't there. There's a lot going against this game, but I still enjoyed the game mm-hmm. uh, for what it was, given its limitations. I, I think there's a sort of a fun game locked in there somewhere. It is uh, rewarding. It's a fun feeling to take out the truck, you know, to to take oh, it yeah. over. Yeah, it's. Great. I like the concept. I would have added a little more flavor to this. Give this thing, if they've got a great logo, why not make this more piratey? How about a little jaunty tune now and again? How about yeah, uh, yeah. a flag? It's, you know, I'd be like more stuff with the pirate, like as part of the game, you know, because this could, you could slap any old backstory on this. You could be helping the good guys, you know, whatever. But they, they didn't do a whole lot with that. So mm-hmm. overall, I would, Bo, how many times have we said it? I think this is a missed opportunity. Uh, 100% uh, on a missed opportunity because yeah. I, I did enjoy playing this game. I did. Were there, you surprised there is a that game you enjoyed here. it as much as you did? Yes. I was well, I'm always surprised when I enjoy an Amiga game. Oh, so here we go. Did you, when you first played it, had you looked at the docs beforehand? I always read the docs first. I spend a okay. whole day studying the docs before I play any game. Oh, in the can, everything? Yeah. I knew it. 
I knew it. Did we get any Discord, sweet Discord action on this thing, Boat? We did. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what our dear, dear friend, Super Famiking says. He didn't look at this from a game perspective. He looked at it from his his own career in the shady, shady world of commercial software shenanigans uh, back in the day, disc copiers and all that. He said in his particular shady shop, this was a fairly big seller for us back in the day. Could have been because it was on a multi-game disc with dynamite ducks. But people were still picking this up in 1992 and 1993 on a regular basis. So if you want, uh, it it was a big hit in the piracy scene, Aaron. Uh, Zorglub writes, This is one of my fondest memories of Amiga gaming from back in the days. While the combat seems hard in the beginning, it doesn't take a lot of practice in the simulators to gain some proficiency and be able to handle some real missions. However, I seem to be sent back to simulators more often now than I remember being old. We got to. I'm going to stop the uh, stop this right here because I forgot about the single worst thing about this game, Aaron. Yeah, the single worst thing about this game is that you get locked out of missions if your shooting percentage gets too low. That's that's below thirty percent, I believe. That is horrible because in a game like this, you're not going to want to be minding your bullets. In a game where life and death, and when death is literally right around every corner, you're running and gunning. Okay, and forcing the player, yeah, forcing the player to conserve their shots, all that does is make them die a lot. That's no good. And you have to go back to the simulator to train and get your accuracy back up. It takes you out of the experience. It takes you out of the game. That is no good. That's my number one thing wrong with this. Thank you for bringing that up, Zorglub. Yeah. Okay. Valid valid point. Moving on with the uh, with the review. He says, I love the graphic style. The vast blobs that make up the space trucks are amazing. And what I associated with a real Amiga game back in the day, I agree with that too. The sprites on this look big and definitely 16 bit. I thought, I fondly rate this game a 9 out of 10 because I remember spending many hours with it instead of sleeping. I'm happy to have a boxed copy of this gym or game in my small collection. And I still find it fun, if not exactly super deep. Super Famic King returns with another review. He says, having no nostalgic feeling about this game, I have to review it based on the fun I've had playing it this week. Did I say fun? I meant nightmare. From its confusing <laughs> title screen, even starting the game isn't clear, and once you do get going, the confusion continues. Overly large sprites fill a claustrophobic game screen, causing pinball-like madness as they bounce off one another at speed. The cumbersome controls don't help you any as you try and navigate the level map. The game tries to be a cross of rotor and blasteroids, but rivals neither. Underneath the bland functional graphics lies a frustrating multi-directional shooter that only puts point... The only it's only plus point is a semi decent soundtrack. Two out of ten. Super Fam King, not a fan. Wow, he really he really uh, uh, amended the original ranking with that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Chris Folds. Chris Folds writes: This game started out promising, a fun little intro with jolly music, but sadly went downhill. The game is obviously well thought out, lots of options, upgrades to the pirate bases, etc. But where it fails is the actual game. Hyperspeed gameplay and a massively cramped and cropped playfield make this a difficult and frustrating experience that I fail to see any enjoyment in. Maybe if you're a fan of steroid-pumped asteroids, this could be for you, but for me, it's a flop. Four out of ten. And finally, Pixels at Dawn writes, I honestly expected to be disappointed by this game, and I was to an extent. The graphics are nothing to shout about, although I like the hyperspace effect, and the sound isn't too exciting either. 
The gameplay seemed a bit aimless. Then I read the manual and it all became clear. Yes. This is a shoot 'em up with actual goals. Get out and get credits to warp between sectors in a sort of FTL fashion. That's correct. Good, good comparison. Until you can find the big space truck to take down. Unfortunately, like awesome. Oh, he agrees with me. Like awesome. Mm. The camera is too zoomed in. So you end up working uh, from the radar half the time and bouncing off enemies a lot. This is a big negative. The game could definitely benefit from more play field on the screen. That said, this is still a fun game and I will play it again. Oh, and extra points for the funky wireframe training simulators. Six out of ten. They could have done something with just that the kind of graphics they used there. They could have made something interesting. Yeah. I think. I, I, I have to say, I, for the most part, I can't argue with any of that stuff. I did look this up. Uh, some uh, reviews up on this real quickly. Uh, Lemon gave this a seven, just a straight seven. Uh, overall, if you if you combine all the magazines as Lemon does now into an overall rating, they're overall pretty positive, eighty seven percent. The big, the heavy hitters, uh, Amiga Computer gave this a ninety two. That's probably a little high. CU Amiga gave it an eighty eight. Uh, the uh, uh, the one gave it an eighty six. So those are pretty pretty high scores. I will say one other thing I learned from looking at the manual is there, you know, this got a release. This got released. We should mention, there's a couple of things we should mention about the releases on this before we move on, uh, Boat. This got a release on the uh, C64, uh, on, the, on the ZX Spectrum, uh, uh, and it also um, uh, got a release uh, on the Atari 8-bits. Uh, so this got a release on the ST and the 8-bits, which we were surprised by, weren't we, both? Yeah, yeah, I was not expecting that, because this is pretty late in the game. Yeah, um, and although this released if you, on the 8-bits in 89. If you talk to Spectrum people, 89 is not late in the game at all. 94 or 95 is late in the game, so it all depends on your perspective. Right. Now, yeah. the Atari version is total garbage, the Atari 8-bit version. you, I, I, I fired this up on the old FujiNet, and yeah. it is pure garbage. It's a shame. Because, uh, you know, the, the, it doesn't look too bad. Uh, the, the screen is actually zoomed out further, which is an advantage. The problem yeah. is, is that, they, that you don't see your shots. When you shoot, the, the game doesn't render your bullets. So you're never sure if you're shooting, you know, what direction you're shooting in. Because let's face it, a lot of times you use your, your, your bullets to kind of track where you're facing. And so you can kind of fine tune so to hit the enemies. There, there's none of that in this game. It's a flickery mess. Uh, avoid the Atari 8-bit version, at least at all you costs. You know, I want to comment on this boat because I haven't played it, but I'm looking at this. This is a, a slap in the face of the, the Atari 8-bits. Yeah. We've both played so many Atari games that render this sort of... Uh, this. They could have used their angle here, put a decent ship in it, put some other stuff, and it would have it would have been a fine game. It doesn't take that much. Why they've made this? This looks like Atari twenty six hundred level stuff with all this flickering. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know what they were what they were smoking here when they put this thing out. I can see why no one mentions it because this is an abomination on on demand and an insult to the eight bits. I, I I'm not happy with that. Yeah. Now, in, in its defense, and I don't know. You know, obviously we, we pulled this uh, we pulled this this footage off YouTube. Curtis suggests that it might be a PAL versus NTSC issue, and I grant that, that that could be the case. Maybe if you fired this up on a PAL machine, it would look better and you, it would play better. So I, I will reserve a little bit of judgment just because of that. This it was a British release game, of course. So keep that in mind when you when you go to bury the Atari 8-bit well, version. It, it's still, it, no matter what, Flickr, I it's ugly. Uh, that, mm. And I expect more. I mean, I've played games like Vanguard and stuff on here and Bosconian that looked a, a, a ton better. So oh, that's, yeah. that's a real letdown. But anyway, getting back to what I was going to say, 
Uh, I noticed that there were there was a, f- a couple features in this, or one feature in particular that was not in the ST version. So, believe it or not, the Amiga did get a little extra love. Uh, but uh, if that, if if that's what you want to call it, Bo. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, I, again, this is one I would I would say try it, uh, but no going in that you're in for a, a, a weird learning curve. I wouldn't say a steep one, but a weird one. Yeah, yeah. All right, Aaron. It's time to take a look at what's been going on in the wider Amigos retro gaming community. And what better place to do that than to kick things off over at the everything, or I'm sorry, the Amigos Retro Gaming YouTube channel, Aaron. Yeah, We've had a 50 50 shot at it, folks. That's true. <laughs> Tons of action on YouTube this week. What do we got? Well, let's start off like we usually do with uh, me and the Brent over at ARG Presents. Uh, this time out, uh, Boat, we played uh, games on the Nintendo Virtual Boy, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we played a couple interesting ones. Uh, Brent played a game called Red Alarm, and I played a, a game called Mario Clash, the Mario game that I never heard of. Uh, I have to say, uh, Red Alarm looked pretty interesting. I mean, real, it's a real... Uh, gutsy attempt on the virtual boy right uh mario is uh, really would mario you could work this as any arcade game it's it's sort of like a a next uh, like a 3d version of the original mario bros from back in the day Mm -hmm. pretty fun game it was okay neither one of these things set the world on fire but you know it's funny i i actually i I played around with uh, multiple friends of mine had a virtual boy back in the day and uh and i spent a lot of time with it and you know even then as a as a lad I knew that this thing was doomed from Jump Street, and I was the biggest Nintendo fan in the world. I would never tell anybody that a Nintendo product was doomed, but I knew that this thing was not long for the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you're at all interested in the history of the Virtual Boy, if you want to, if you want to hear the real story behind it, check out this episode because uh, Brent really did a lot of interesting research that he brings to light, and uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Thank you. We had a uh, actually uh, we went into we went into some areas I didn't expect to go into, but I, I really found it. Uh, a good conversation. The Brit was on point this week with this one. So check us out if you get a chance. Uh, now, here we go, Boat. Man, me and you, we actually did have a busy week. I didn't realize yeah. all this stuff came out. This. Let's talk about uh, the uh, 1200XL show, Boat, uh, with right. Getaway. So 1200XL has uh, made a spectacular return, and we bring the show back to you with uh, Getaway. Getaway is uh, uh, programmed by West Virginia's own Mark Reed, uh, which is why I sort of thought about doing this as the show. I, I interviewed him uh, and put that article up on everythingamiga.com. This is a real, real fun game. Uh, I really enjoyed this. You know, you've got a lot of games like this where you're driving around. You've got New York City, the Big Apple. You've got uh, you've got the uh, action biker on the on the spectrum is sort of yeah. like this. Uh, but this one, for for my money, is, is the best. Did you enjoy this one, Aaron? I did. This is a, this game has a lot of things going for it. I would love to get one of those maps that we talked about. They they released a full sized full color map of the city mm-hmm. that you can get, which would help a poor guy like me. But this is a fun game and very cleverly done. You know, again, it doesn't look like much, although it looks actually. I think it looks pretty good if you can see it when it was released. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's actually there's a lot of gameplay here. I mean, surprising mm-hmm. amount. So yeah, this this was a real surprise to me, and not just because he's one of our boys. We this was a good this was good stuff, Boaster. So. If you're in the 1200, you're good to go. Check us out there on on the 1200 XL show. Uh, Boat, of course, did a little gameplay on the game today. If you want to just watch him play some of it, hey, you, you, that's up. That's good to go up there. Our buddy Jack Flack was back. I actually was. I I think I cut off his streams this week, and this was a this was a 
painful stream to watch. Yeah. I, I watched Bo, some of this one too. Botus, our boy, uh, tried his best at some uh, double dragon on the C64. Uh, this is not good. They no. didn't do the C sixty forty favor. Maybe Double Dragon was a little advanced for the C sixty four. Well, it's funny because the thing that you've got to hand the C sixty you've got to hand it to the C sixty four is they weren't afraid to port anything to it. You know, yeah. by by the time this game came out, you know the, the C sixty four was 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 well on its way out, and the Spectrum is a lot like this too. The Spectrum got ports of all this stuff. Yeah, um, I agree with both those. And uh, and it, on some level, no matter how bad the game is. You've got to at least appreciate the fact that a version does appear on the platform. One one thing I liked about this, and Flight did a great job explaining. He got the manual out. If you look at the Double Dragon guys, there's a right at their belt line. They're invisible. Yeah. They're see through. <laughs> and in and in the manual, it explains why. It says this game was so. He goes. The, the manual says we know you wanted two players on the C sixty four, and this game was so huge that we had to make certain concessions. And that was one of the concessions that these guys had no belt line. They were really yeah, how was, interesting in, in the manual boat. Huh. And then uh, uh, he gets on a little double dragon two and three at just to just to make it make the pain hurt a little bit more. Uh, so if you are into that sort of thing, and I believe this also is the episode where. Uh, Stupidly, Flack also decided. That, yep, this is it. He decided to eat some of these ghost pepper chips during the episode. Yeah, so I, I, I caught some smoke, of this part too. Yeah, he, he had smoke rolling out from under the toque. Uh, so, if you want to see Flack like catch himself on fire, then this is the episode for you. I, his stuff's always great. I always enjoy it. Um, Boat, you want to talk about this uh, uh, new edition here? The uh, uh, this is the uh, this week in retro. Go ahead and give us the yeah. Scoop. So. Uh, we, we've decided to sort of uh, cast a wider net with this week in retro. You can f- I'll find us on multiple places online. Uh, you can catch us over at the uh, over at the uh, this week in retro YouTube channel, or you can find episodes right here on Amigos uh, Retro Gaming. So we talked about a bunch of different things this week, uh, none of which I can remember. Why don't you try and unfull screen that, Aaron, so I can remember? Yes, sir. That's what does it for you? <laughs> yes. Uh, so we talked about the Frankenstein N64 controller, Aaron. This thing is a homebrew N64 controller that has two, count them, two analog sticks and a total of four uh, pitchfork handles. If you, I think that's their technical term. That thing was uh, that thing was an unmitigated horror. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got to try to dig this thing up. It was unbelievably bizarre looking. Yeah, you've uh, already this, you've this, already missed it. It's, it's way back in the beginning. Yeah. I'll find so, it. Keep talking. Uh, we also talked about, oh, maybe not, maybe you're right, maybe it is further on down the line. Um, we also talked about the Amiga 2200, which we covered earlier in the show. There's a new uh, JRPG-like game from Sarah Jane Avery for the C64 called the Briley Witch Chronicles. Uh, something that we're probably going to be talking about on a future episode of Amigos, Aaron, is uh, Turbo Sprint. Turbo Sprint for the Amiga. I know you're probably a big Sprint fan, aren't you, Aaron, from back in I the arcade? I did play some Sprint back in the day. I sure did. Yeah, yeah. So that that's on the way. So uh, if you are interested in getting there, it is. There's yeah, the monstrosity. There the, the... What, a, what a piece of work <laughs> that came straight from beyond the moon, right there. <laughs> if you, uh, that's if that's what Cthulhu plays games with. Just just picture someone took two N64 controllers and just smushed them or melted them together into one large bizarre controller. I mean, it's well done. It yeah. looks perfect. But what the. You talk about it looks like the top, the head off an axe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very bizarre boat. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought it was interesting. 
So we always have a good time on This Week in Retro. Uh, we try and keep it short. Uh, we actually went a little long on this one, 39 minutes. But uh, if you want to get sort of the broader view, not just Amiga news, and you want to hear from the man himself, Neil <laughs> from RMC, uh, feel free to uh, to check that out. Very good. Very good. I, I enjoyed this one, uh, this week's especially. Um, let's talk about our buddy Sanction from Pixel Gaiden. He was yes. back. With the live stream this time around, he's. I love this one, boat. It's Coco time. He's a man after our own heart. I, I didn't get to be present at this one. Unfortunately, the the time thing always gets me with his stuff. Him what is this game that he's playing right right now? What is this food fight? Uh, you clone? know, I I know I've seen this one, but I'm honest with you, I'm gonna I'm have sure, to fire this up directly after the podcast. I'm sure this Curtis looks great. Will chime in and tell us exactly what it is. I off the top of my head, I don't remember the name of it. To be honest with you, but I have seen Mud it. Pies. Thank you, Curtis. Mud Pies. That's it. Yeah, it's a pretty that's a pretty popular game. Then he kicks in some time, but oh, we need to talk about that. Uh, yeah, man. We, 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 we'll save that for the next Coco show. Okay. But we actually heard from one of the co-authors of the Time Band on one of our episodes, and it was yeah. awesome. So if, if you're a Coco fan, we'll, that'll be coming up in the next Coco show. But uh, Sanction goes to work. Hey, listen, anyone playing Coco, we're down, you know? And uh, real real good stuff. I caught, I'll rewatch some of this on my own. He's played some Megabug here. That's the Mr. Do clone. Look at that, mm-hmm. bud. Have you ever played that one? There are so many, so many gems that I still haven't scratched the surface of yet. That's why I love the Coco. There's always something new to discover. Yeah. A lot of these old machines are like that, though. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we're barely getting there. Now, I haven't seen this one, Bo. You want to talk about this? Uh, well, we could talk about it together because I haven't had a chance to watch this one yet either. This, this is a new Permsky joint. Yeah. So I, I believe what this is is the 1648 magazine. Uh, the cassette that's come with it. Why don't you skip forward a little bit so maybe we can see what's going on here. So I believe that maybe this was a magazine that came out on cassette. So, uh, you know, not a paper edition, an actual cassette edition of this game. Uh, Hermsky may be in the chat and he can give us a couple more, uh, uh, <laughs> more of an idea of what this is. I uh, I haven't had a chance to watch this one yet, so I, I don't I know what it is. I didn't even see this one. I, so this one wants to just slip right past me. This looks great. Hermsky comes up with some real clever stuff. And this looks good. It looks like you're right. He's going through some old uh, 16 slash 48 cassettes. He's got a here at the beginning. He's got a three cassettes, and he's got the names are in big letters on top of it. Here looks good. Yeah, Hurts, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Curtis. Curtis stuff. watched some of this. He says that he basically he goes through the tape version of the magazine and he tries out the the programs, the cover disc tape, you know, programs as it were, uh, on uh, you know, on the stream, which is really cool because I tell yes. you, a lot of these games don't get a lot of coverage. You know, these these yeah, are all, any you know, coverage. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> very very cool from Hermsky. I will yeah, definitely very, be checking this out. I agree. Hermsky is he's very clever with his stuff. And so that's great. That one that one just snuck in right behind that. I I'm gonna check that out probably this evening. That looks good. Speaking of the Coco, but we're back. Yeah. The Coco show's back. And this time out, you pick this one, Boat. Tell them what it is. This is Pegasus and the freaking Phantom Riders. That's the what this is. <laughs> There's Hermsky. Good stuff, Hermsky. This is my favorite joust clone on the Amiga. You got your people that like buzzard bait. You got your people that like Lancer. To me, the, if I'm going to sit down and play a joust derivative, it's going to be Pegasus and the Phantom Riders. Uh, I love the graphics in this game. It's a joy to look at. I love the animation, the animation of your horse turning around. 
I love the you know the way that the 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 riders swoop out you know from the from the from the volcano or whatever. Yeah, I, I just I, I really sea, enjoyed the this sea game. monster, the waterfalls. Yeah, this all the animation going for it, except for the gameplay, which isn't as good as the other. In my it's opinion. a it's a it's a little bit slower for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm still I'm still going to go with Buzzard Bait as the definitive Joust clone, but this is far more original than those other uh, couple Joust clones, and also. The storyline in this is neat. I just like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful game. Yeah. Just g- one of the most good looking uh, uh, TRS-80 car computer games. Just love this one. And it's fun to play. I'm sitting here kind of killing the gameplay, but I mean, it's not like the gameplay stinks. It's still, it's a good time, mm-hmm. man. So if you are, uh, if you're into this one, check it out. Or if you're into Coco, uh, we had a real good time coming back with the Coco, didn't we, Bo? We had a real, yeah. we had a joyous, uh, joyous show that week. Yeah, yeah, uh, so and uh, we'll have another Coco show out here before too long, so the the train will keep on rolling. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Boaster. Um, of course, one last item to touch with, and that's our good buddy Frodo. Frodo, he has uh, he has kicked back. I just kicked him on. He has kicked back in with some more Coleco. I recognize that right away. Venture boat. Mm. Uh, and Frodo, if you haven't been following his uh, streams, has been going through and playing like all, pretty much all the Co- all the uh, ColecoVision games. And he's played some pretty obscure stuff, Boat. He, he's played a lot of stuff I've never seen before. And I play a lot of ColecoVision, so hats off to him. But if you're into ColecoVision or you just want to learn, you should check out all Frodo's uh, streams on it. They're real well done. He has a method to what he's doing. It's not just random crap. And Frodo's great on the stick, Boat. He can cut yeah, a promo. He, he can go. So if you, if you want to catch it, we'll have a good time. He's, Hop over and, he, and catch him on Twitch or catch his uh, streams on YouTube. They're you know what they call him? The Dutch what? dilettante. The du- <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. I can see it, man. Uh, one more thing I'll mention before we cruise uh, on down the line is uh, if you if you uh, get a board or, or, or need something to do, uh, hop over and check out our Amigos Twitch channel where you can catch uh, our full unedited uh warts and all episodes uh and you will also catch the occasional live stream i tend to live stream on our uh twitch channel every friday night uh the last week i did some amiga two nights of amiga and this and this week i'm going to be playing selections from the sega master system boat on the on the amigos channel i can't so wait that for should that. be fun yeah yeah all right aaron well let's move on out <clears throat> and talk about this week's community high score challenge okay so if you are a member of our discord community uh you can participate in all of these high score challenges uh they're done by hermsky and frodo nl uh and uh the first one we'll talk about is our amiga high score challenge one just wrapped up Aaron, you're not going to believe this well, it was parasol stars right okay so the third place score was Zorglub, a million points. Okay. Wow. The second place score that was, was Sundown, yeah. two million points. The first place score was Z9K9, 30 million points. <laughs> That's like, you know, you, you, if you go look at the old magazines for high scores, and there'd be some goof and you knew it was, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> right. But we live in an age now where you can't fake it. He yeah. got that many points. 
I salute you, sir. Yeah. That's amazing. Z9K9 for the win. He's I thought a man. million points was a lot. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, me too. Me too. I didn't need, I got I got almost half a million points, so I was nowhere close. Yeah. Now, Aaron, me. we've gotten and we did we did, we had record attendance too. We had 9 people participate in this high score challenge. The next one, the one that just started today, it closes the 5th of March, so you got plenty of time. Vaccine, Aaron. Have you ever played Vaccine on the Amiga? It's funny. I just got the vaccine a couple mm. days ago. So how appropriate? <laughs> no, I'm not, I don't think I've ever heard of that game. So this is this is a 3D shooter uh, by U.S. Gold. So uh, I will be playing this some this oh, weekend. Oh no! <laughs> you never know. Sometimes, sometimes. No, you're right. They're never. Winners, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> there goes the attendance. Oh no, I haven't seen it. It might be awesome. It might be awesome. Now over on the Specky High Score Challenge side of things, we've started a new High Score Challenge, and this one is all about RoboCop, Aaron. RoboCop, I believe that we we covered this on a previous episode of Our Sinclair. We so far, only <laughs> one score up so far. Paul, a.k.a. Hermski's posted a score. Now, the previous game that we played, Daily Thompson's Decathlon, Mitsuyama reigns supreme on that one. He actually beat Z9K9, which I salute anybody that can beat Z9K9 at anything. Mitsuyama clocked in a score of 789,000 on a Daily Thompson's Decathlon. So big props to the Mits. Good work, man. That was a lot. That was another where I saw a ton of scores floating back and forth. So that was that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Aaron. It's now a part in the show where we start to thank all the fine folks that make this show happen, including starting things out with our Twitch subscribers Aaron so if you are watching the show live now on Twitch you can support us by subscribing if you have an Amazon Prime account you can subscribe to our channel for free and uh, it helps benefit us financially uh, we want to thank all the fine folks including Peeplo, Still Adolescing, Jost80, Mitsuyama, Great Owl G, Z9K9, Chronoset, Blah Blah 5372, Buck Owens, Smegger, Jigglebox, Christian <laughs> Russell, Paco Takatake, Macintosh Librarian, Gary Heather, Eeyore4077, Hermski, Blue Train, Retro Rewind, Canada, Ka, Rule of Thirds, Pints and Amiga, Barkbit, Paul Kitching, Frodo and L, Malamasta, Captain Chaos DK, Neg Sol, Lord Soup, Bruce Sayer, Uber Scuba Diver, John Marshall 3, Retro Jerry, and Da. Crabs, MTG. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on Twitch. Some pretty crazy names in there, Boat. Yeah, there are. Yeah. I heard you mention Pints and Amiga. I don't know if you guys, ever, anybody here checked out their stream, but they just redid their studio, and it looks really? great. Oh. It, it looks, their studio, it looks like some kind of a me, like a video game hoedown is occurring. Oh. That's what it always reminds me of. It's, they're the boys from Texas. They're out there making their own beer, and then they're playing crap boys of Amiga, so I, I endorse. Nothing better. Stuff. Nothing better. Uh, now, in terms of our Patreon people, Aaron, our fine, fine supporters, we have a new supporter this week, The Amiga Show. The Amiga Show, Aaron. They have, you know, the best, in my opinion, the best Amiga news magazine, time travel, time warp from back in the day, monthly releases, 
just you know produced entirely on the Amiga. Anthony Jarvis in charge of that. He's the man. Uh, they are supporting us now, so we welcome them. And of That's course, we the also- genre you've coined for them. What was that again? The best t- news related time travel magazine. Yeah, news related time to the travel Amiga. magazine. Yep. I agree. They definitely are the best. They are. All- <laughs> I love. I love that show. You know that. And we want to thank our new sponsor, RetroRewind.ca. If you are in need of any sort of new Amiga or C64 hardware, uh, make sure, especially if you are in North America and you want to avoid that overseas shipping and sometimes nebulous communication of some of the European outfits, check out RetroRewind.ca and they will hook you up. This is the perfect time to have an American uh, dealer because getting anything overseas now back and forth takes could take anywhere in for eight to ten millennia as yes. i found out so that's a real bummer so aaron last week's patreon song challenge horrible unfortunately we received no correct <laughs> entries that's a reflection on how hideous it was finally not, not even pack billy not even pack billy he, uh, he sent me a message before we started recording. He's like, he says, I know I know this one. It keeps <laughs> floating around the periphery of my recognition, but every time I think I've got it, it gets away. Man, he's got so, a lot of good language in that little in that Oh, note. yeah. Pac yeah. Billy, he's a wordsmith. If he's a genius and a wordsmith and he couldn't crack the boat code, then no one could. What was so, that abomination that you uttered? We went back to the 70s, Aaron, back to the 70s well again. Uh-huh. And we did a, a tune by the one and only Todd Rundgren. Yeah. Are you familiar yeah, with yeah. the Todd? Hello, it's me. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So this was this was on his album before that one. It was actually two albums before that one. Uh, it was We Gotta Get You a Woman. That was that was what you sang, huh? That was that song. That was that Man. song. So. I think Todd Rundgren, by the way, produced the wrestling albums from the from the eighties. I believe interesting, was, if I'm not mistaken. So well, he, he you know the, he, he was hit the, hit the wall. He's a huge producer, so <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, you know he did Skylarking for XTC and stuff. So, but anyway, uh, that was hideous. So, boat picks up that someone's heard of. Well, none of this obscure seventies college music. I God need to. Just, uh, I don't know if you can tell, but. Hits. I'm having a little trouble with the old with the old voice, Aaron. <laughs> I'm starting to lose it. So you th- are this, this time. Thank out, you, Lord. We're going is is a is a personal thank you to you and all of our listeners. We're going to eschew the uh, the the Patreon song this week, and I will read the names aloud instead. But can you fear not, them? dear listener? <laughs> next week, I'm very confident that we will have the next full band Patreon song ready and waiting for you to hear. And oh, this one's going to be a humdinger. We have never attempted something this complex before. It's literally taken us almost a month to lay down the tracks for this one. It is what are you a, guys putting together? A light opera? What's it's happening? A, it's, it's, yeah, it feels like it. It feels like a major production. Oh, so, But, uh, but we're, we're wrapping that up. Look forward to that next week. So we would like to thank The Amiga Show, Daniel Crabtree, Super Famiking, Crazy Loomis, William Venterscar, Heavy Systems Inc., Bundy, Frag Lord, Mark Byland, Olaf Hope, Hermsky, Jonah, a.k.a. Simulant, Alien Breeder, Dave Velociraptor, Cowbird Boy, <laughs> Lane Denson, Luke Hudson, John Cook, Bomb the Bass, Frodo NL, Solenslizer, Tech Mage, Jurgen, Mr. Cola, Daniel Williams, Bernard Lucas, Jerry, Dennington, Zorglub, Commodore Kid, Reflection, Simon Lutch, Captain Crispy, 
Kilobytes and Caffeine, Gary Heather, Free Lunch, Kate Fox, David Pickford, Cameron Armstrong, Andy Jones, Lob Sterminator, 10-Minute Amiga Retrocast, Bernard Quinn, RMC, Tim Drew, Simon Rose, Joseph Harrison, Kyle Hedder, Rob O'Hara, Matthew Larimore, Andy Craig, Seanzo, Barkbit, Roland Burke, Andrew Monks, Joe the Zombie, Leaf Killand, Alan Kebab, Chicote, Level Lord, John Marshall, Matthew Perron, Ricky DeRocher, Creepy Dead Boy, Figgy CTZ, The Slow Norris, Stefan Sorgard Mortensen, Edvin Helland, Blindo75, Christopher Hassel, Ravi Abbott, Chris Folds, Laurent Giroux, Graham W. Vebke, Adam Battersby, O'Brien's Retro and Vintage, Gary Hucker, Paul Harrington, Duncan Stiles, Tapes from the Crypt, Josh Nan, Adam Bradley, Jonas Rulo, THT, Eric Nelson, Kim, Tommy Humberstad, Daniel Bigston, Brutal Barracuda, Darren Coles, Jason Warrens, Pixels at Dawn, and say it, Aaron, Kilborn Barman. All right. He's, it sounds like a name for a cosmic pirate right there. That's right. That's right. So you know? uh, we want to thank, speaking of cosmic pirate, we want to thank Zorglub, the member of the Amigos Game Selection Committee that selected this game for us to play. We really appreciate it. And we want to thank the committee for voting on it. Next week, Aaron, it's the old Boat and Aaron Pick Week. And man, am I glad because I know that you and me, we never pick anything too deep. We always pick something straight. Oh, wait a minute. You picked freaking civilization, Aaron. No, I didn't. Try you, again. You, That's two weeks in a row you've watched that. Colonization. What kind of you, uh, you need to you need to cut the dose on the fancy water boat. <laughs> Colonization. You're, you're not gonna be laughing once you fire this thing up and you realize it's gonna be sim life all over again. Listen, I've played this thing, man. Listen, yeah. but beneath this boyish exterior is the brain and mental power of a genius. I'm mm. going to take you to school. This okay. is good stuff. Colonization. Would I pick a dud? Hell no. Look, read the shirt. Damn, I am good. That said. Continue. <laughs> I was waiting. All right. So we will see you next week for colonization. Until then. Adios. Adios.